Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Jui Wong, the CEO of Olaplex. Welcome, Jui. Thank you so much for having me. Jui, you know, I, as I said to you, I've been an admirer of yours for a while, and I know you're a, a, a legacy beauty executive, you know, being the CEO at Moroccan Oil most recently. But, you know, I have to ask, you just started at Olaplex in January. What a year to be starting as a CEO <laughs> at a new company. So I have to ask what it's been like this first year to be doing this in the middle of a pandemic. You know, strange as it may sound, I think I thrive on pandemics and chaos, however you want to put it, because I started the first half of my career as a commodities trader, where okay. every day is a, is a day on its own. And every day you are judged by a scorecard of how well you do. And so when this pandemic happened, I kind of put myself and zone into the fact that I can only control what I can and I cannot control what I cannot. So really, I put on that hat. And then layer on top of that, I've spent my last 11 years really managing turnarounds for private equity backed brands. And so those, all those knowledge and experience has truly prepared me for this time, you know, for better or for worse. I think, you know, I thrive under the pressure. And at the same time, I love the fact that I have a team that also looks for direction and leadership. And together, I believe that, you know, I can help make a difference. So, Julie, you know, obviously the brands that you were kind of previously a part of, you said that it was kind of a turnaround story. Olaplex, I don't think needed to uh, needed a turnaround. You know, I no. think at the end of last year, um, you obviously got sold. Um, it's a $100 billion valuation, $100 million in sales. I think that was what the last report was. So there wasn't necessarily a turnaround strategy that you needed to put in place. But what were you thinking prior to the pandemic hitting the states? Well, I think one of the things is that if you look at Olaplex, and when I was an outsider looking in, it was very clear to me that there were a couple of equities about the brand that was very compelling. One was there was constant trade reports of how well they are doing as just, you know, as what you have just said. And then the other thing was their social engagement and social following and platforms was just really out of the, you know, stratosphere. When I look at Track Dynamics reporting on their EMV value, when I look at their social engagement, you know, whether it's a connection engagement and the conversion platforms. And then layer on top of that was their very defendable patent you know, that they defended against uh, L'Oreal. And then finally, to wrap it all up, was the fact that this was one of the, you know, biggest private equity firm that was very interested in them. And moreover, you know, they were, I believe that they would have done all of their due diligence. So when I saw all that from the outside, it definitely piqued my interest. And when I joined the organization in January, my go-to playbook in every company I've been in has always been digital. Not because digital is fashionable and is on trend, but rather that it was really the first place where you can own a lot of the infrastructure. You can update your own website. You can really pivot very quickly in any times of need and testing. So that was in January before, you know, all of us knew that the pandemic was going to hit us as hard as it, it, it's doing now. I basically focus on uh, our website and our direct-to-consumer platforms. 
And so I guess hindsight is 2020. I did the right thing and we've not looked back since then. Dewey, will you talk a little bit about that kind of distribution strategy? Because, you know, obviously Olaplex has great accounts, you know, it's in Sephora, it's in, you know, it's it's a luxury product or perceived that way. Um, so transitioning that to digital, like, will you explain how you were thinking about that? Yes, absolutely. So if you think about it, what Olaplex has is definitely a DNA as an omni-channel brand. A lot of people want to say that they're omni-channel and they basically look at brick and model versus their own website or direct-to-consumer. But what Oloplex had was another channel, which was the professional channel, which gave it a lot of credibility and authority. So when I joined and I saw that equity, where we have a professional driving authority and credibility, and a retail distribution that was really driving our brand awareness, and then layered on top of that was the direct-to-consumer, which was generating our strategic revenue. When you have all of those three channels, you are truly omni-channel. And so to me, to really beef up the direct-to-consumer platform to allow ourselves to tell a story of who we are, and in a pandemic situation where the professional was so hard hit by salon closures, it became very apparent that we could use our uh, digital platform to do well and to do good. And that was exactly what we did. So, Joey, will you explain what you mean by strategic revenue? Like, I think that's such an interesting term that you just used, that your website was a part of the strategic revenue of the business. So, so what did you mean by that? Yes. So if you think about it, there's a way where, where you are a digital native brand. Guess what? All you want to do is to drive revenue to your own website, right? I mean, that's your only channel of revenue generation. But for a product like Oloplex Plex, or for a brand like Oloplex, what we actually can do is we've got three channels. So how do you direct traffic and direct revenue in such a way that it plays well and nice in the whole sandbox of our ecosystem of being in an omni-channel? So when I say strategic revenue, I look at my own oloplex.com as a place where if you think about it, it's like your house. You invite someone into your house. The first thing you do is you be hospitable. You share with them, you know, as a host, what how comfortable you want them to be. You don't bombard them as soon as they walk in through the door and ask and start trying to sell your wares to them, right? So I see that as the first option for us where people were being invited to our website because prior to January of 2020, our website was very difficult to navigate. You get onto the website and there were like two pictures, one of a professional and one of an end consumer. And it was in our own mind that we could tell the difference. When a consumer got onto our website, they could not tell which was which without reading the subtext. So really, we upgraded that. We changed that all out so that people felt comfortable coming in, navigating, visiting with us, staying with us, communicating with us. And when they do that, once they feel comfortable, they are then more willing to kind of invest behind us and convert with us. And that is just the consumer piece. But the strategic revenue piece for the professional was even more compelling because what the professional did was with the salon closure, they really lost almost 90% of their income stream, right? If you think about professional, majority of their business is actually done in services. And when they lost that, they really had to lean in on retail. So that was where Oloplex decided to open up our oloplex.com as a platform for the professional to really drive retail 
to themselves. And that may sound very strange, but what we did was we gave them an affiliate code. They opened up their client book, so to speak, and their clients, because of the love for the stylist, came to our website with that code and bought products from us at full price, knowing that the professional stylist and the colorist was going to make a commission as a result of that successful transaction. And what this showed us was the love and the trust that Oloplex has built as a brand. And that was something that was very telling for me as somebody walking in for the first time. So do you think that, um, you know, the, the idea of the professional channel and the direct consumer channel and the retail channel, you know, that kind of friction that, you know, people have talked about for years is, is gone now, now that COVID has kind of been this great equalizer? I think it all depends on the brand. I think it's very easy to say that, look, you know, during COVID, there's a migration to direct to consumer. And then, you know, once COVID settles down, what happens to those businesses, right? One of the, the questions that if you talk to financial analysts and financial investors, they all constantly ask the question, is this a COVID bump? And most people are worried and not know, you know, what would happen. In our case, I am quite confident, and this is my opinion, I'm quite confident that we will continue to see the engagement and the conversion on all of our platforms and all our channels. And that is because when I look at how we have continued to interact and how we have really served up to our community, both, both offline and online, and all of the social interaction that I'm seeing, I am not seeing a bifurcation of channels. I'm actually seeing a seamless and frictionless way of communication and way of engagement. So to me, I think it really depends on the brand. We've over, we've heard of authenticity and how brand needs to be authentic and have an emotional connection. I can see this in Oloplex. I mean, it is in spades. When we have a reach out or we reach out to our community and ask for something, we don't just get one or two people responding to us. We get hundreds of thousands of our followers, you know, really coming to our aid if they want to or spreading the word that we ask them to. And this is a brand that if you look at us, we don't do very much marketing. We don't really do much um, outreach, you know, in the traditional media. But what we do a lot is really constantly be in front of our community, having discussion with them, educating them, and really learning and leaning into them. So, Julie, you know, one thing you mentioned a second ago was like this COVID bump. And I've heard that across the board, you know, brand awareness for indie brands, legacy brands, mostly indie brands and kind of like these middle of the road brands that may not be part of a conglomerate are seeing this bump. But, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and we sort of saying, you know, well, it's great that you're seeing this bump, but what about that retention rate? Like the 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 repeat customer. I'm wondering, you know, when you're talking about this loyalty, how that's translating for you. You know, are you seeing the repeat on your site? Um, and are these customers coming back to you, maybe not necessarily for promotions or deals, but just because of the product? Yes. I mean, I think one of the things that is so exciting about us is that if you look at hair care, hair care is also having a moment. But this moment is long lasting because if you look at, it's taking a lot of cues from skincare. And what we are seeing is that when people are looking at their hair, they look at it as an extension of their skincare. And with that said, 
what has what we have also seen is that self-care has become a very big piece of how people are taking care of themselves and really wanting more from all of their products. And Oloplex offers that up. I mean, statistics actually shows us that 57% of women think that they do some damage to their hair. And 91% of women are actually searching for products to address damaged hair. So Oloplex sits very nicely in serving up needs and wants. And so with that said, I feel confident again that ultimately Oloplex is not just a brand. Oloplex is truly a community builder. And once people engage with us and see what we can deliver in terms of performance and the community that they are in, it becomes a family. And, and I know that people use this term loosely too, like, you know, we are a family of brands. But I think the way Oloplex is, we put our mouth where our money is. We really do all of the things that we need to, to really continue to do the right thing by our community. Julie, will you talk a little bit about the marketing piece? Because, you know, I haven't seen a ton of marketing on your on your end. You know, it's not like you're like <laughs> sponsored ad on every influencer's page or, you know, med- mega gifting suites or unboxing videos and all of this stuff. And I know Emma, my colleague, uh, recently spoke with you. And, you know, one thing that I thought was interesting is that kind of like the shift away maybe from that influencer, you know, flashy strategy and more towards the science narrative and the what you can do for the customer narrative. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I mean, it's a very, very good question because obviously everybody expects that when somebody news come on board, then what you try to do is you try to kind of implement your legacy on your own footprint. I really, what I did was I took a step back, you know, and again, I saw wanted to take a bird's eye view of what Oloplex is. And really what Oloplex sung out to me was that it is really the skincare of hair care. So when I saw that, I also knew that it had a strong community, right? It had a strong community of people who loved the brand more than they loved themselves at times. And it was evident by the fact that when we did the affiliate program, how everybody kind of supported each other. So when you have that kind of a DNA in a brand, you leverage that. You don't throw it out and start afresh. So what I really did was I did not walk away from our influencers, but instead we really lean into that community and really allows them to kind of continue to talk about us, provide content that they have and let us kind of continue to repurpose, repost and help build them as well. So it is an interdependence interplay of each other's strength that we continue to kind of showcase on each other's behalf. And when you do that, you have a very genuine relationship. And when that relationship continues to build on its own, it becomes such that you don't need to ask for things to be done. Things get done because they know that there's a mutual benefit. So do you mean that in a sense that, you know, you know, authentic influencers or unpaid influencers and treating one like a family is much more valuable to you than say, you know, the pay-for-play model that we've been seeing, you know, in existence for the last several years. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people would love to have what we have, right? 96% of our content is what we call UGC. I mean, very few people can achieve that. And you you can achieve that maybe once or, you know, one year, two years. But for us to have continued doing so for six years, really show a strong foundation. Secondly, if you look at 
what is happening with chart dynamics reporting. Every dollar that we have on the earned media value is truly earned media value. We never had any kind of marketing or advertising prior to that to drive the EMV. So again, all this points to the fact that you've, we've got a strong foundation and our foundation is what I need to build off of and leverage so that we all can generate and enjoy the momentum that we are having because we cannot take any of these things for granted, right? Relationships are nurtured, cult, you know, cultivated and continue to be built on. And therefore, to me, that relationship means you know, maintaining that relationship, curating that relationship, growing that relationship is much more important to try to get a quick win, you know, whether it's through an endorsement or whether to try to, you know, do a huge marketing campaign. Because to me, longevity is more important than a flash in the pan. Chewy, how do you feel about all of these other brands out there that now that hair wellness and the skinification of hair has become much more sexy, the category is growing at a rapid rate, eclipsing, you know, skincare and makeup, you know, it's getting more crowded. I'm not saying that you don't have a defensible position. I obviously believe that. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of people who want a piece of what you're doing. How are you protecting yourself? Well, I think, you know, where Oloplex has what I call a moat to protect itself is truly our science and our technology. You know, our technology platform is found in our proprietary patented and proven ingredient, which is bisamino diglycol vimaliate. It is quite a mouthful and all of us just call it bisamino in the company. But this is where I think the magic is. Not only do we have an ingredient that is patented, proven, and proprietary, what we have is that it's also a turbocharger and a supercharger. Because standalone, our formulas are powerhouses on their own. Because what we do is we use skincare ingredients and really cutting-edge ingredients in our formulation. And when we do clinical studies, without even the bisamino in it, it punch above its weight. But when we add the bisamino into it, it's almost like it's almost like turbocharging your car. You know, think of a Ferrari. If you turbocharge a Ferrari, what happens? It leaves all the other cars in the dust. So yes, there can be copycats, there can be me too, there can be fast followers. But unless they can prove that they can deliver the performance that we have done year over year, I think it is going to be very difficult for someone to kind of say that they can do, you know, what we have done. And I think the lawsuit, you know, really proved that our technology is not only the real thing, but it's powerful and scientifically superior. Joey, you mentioned the lawsuit, obviously, you know, I have to ask, I know that was before your time, but, you know, what I think is so amazing about that story is it, it really is a David versus Goliath story. And, and, you know, you want, and so I'm just wondering, you know, for all of these indie brands out there that are kind of struggling or, you know, making themselves in the back of their, you know, garage or, you know, had an idea, like being able to take on a company like this and, and succeed, like what has that done for like the morale of Olaplex and, and, you know, the people that work there? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing is for sure, we don't sort of say that we want something, but rather what does that mean? You know, that as a brand, what is it that we have that is that powerful and that superior? And so we lean in on that instead of kind of saying that, look, we've won something. 
and that we are proud of it. We are instead very proud of what we could defend. And I think for the indie brands and for the smaller brands, I think one of the most important things for people, you know, for brands to consider is take your time and come up with something that truly is differentiating, that truly delivers a need and addresses, you know, someone's kind of benefit, right? I mean, you can't just come up with something and then kind of say, look, I can use Shopify, throw it online, get my Instagram and social platform going, and then, you know, let's just see what sticks and make claims that are not substantiated. I think, you know, because the place is so crowded and so noisy at this time, that it is ever the more important for brands to really showcase that it is about the consumer, not just about themselves. And I think it's easy to say, very difficult to do. And again, as an outsider, when I was looking in at Oloplex, what Oloplex did was that it wasn't just concerned about being a product. It really wanted to make a difference. And where did they go? They didn't go with retail products. They inserted themselves right into the back bar, which was really territory that nobody dared to make an appearance in. The back bar was controlled by the powerhouses. The back bar was only reserved for services from coloring to processing to bleaching. So for Oloplex to say, look, that is where I want to make a difference because that is where the biggest pain point is for consumers because their bonds are getting broken. Their hair is getting damaged as they are going through the services. And I think that was what won the hearts and souls of the professional stylists. They knew that Oloplex was coming in to help them be better at their job. And, and to me, I think brands who are looking to present itself to the general public and want to make a difference, truly deliver on what is needed by your consumers. Don't just deliver a product with empty promises because you disappoint people. And disappointment, you know, never gets forgotten. Just, just, just you know, just to come kind of make that clear. Chewy, you know, obviously this is like a super positive story, one that, you know, we don't actually always get covered here on the Glossy Beauty Podcast, especially in this year and in this climate. But I'm just wondering, you know, as a CEO, as a leader, what's been difficult about this year? Like what, you know, has you struggled with um, as you kind of find your footing in this in this new normal, this new digital normal, this new pandemic normal? Yeah, again, very good question. Everyone who is leading an organization or even leading a team has a lot of anxiety, you know, built into, you know, layer on top by COVID, layer on top by, you know, all of the uncertainties. There's still no end in sight. Yes, people talk about a vaccine, but the fear is still there. So I think when I came on board the, the, and with COVID layer on top, what was really a big deal for me was to actually understand what I have. What I have was a team that has really defined, right, the category, has really been the ones that led the prestige hair care industry. If you look at NPD data, time and time again, all of those data points points to the fact that Oloplex has truly been leading the charge. I mean, even as recently as the last uh, NPD report on Q3's beauty growth, 11% of that growth came from, you know, oh, sorry, healthcare actually had 11% growth uh, for so the same time against Q3 of last year. 
And majority of the 11% came from hair color, hair treatment, hair mask, and then they inserted hair primers. And the reason why hair primer make the cut was because Olaplex actually launched Olaplex number zero. And number zero was a hair primer that actually had one of our best launches you know, across all channels. So as a leader looking into the asset and the equity that we have, my job is not to change the narrative or change the story in such a way that people see us as a new organization, but rather to continue with that story and continue with that strong footprint and really drive home the point of who we are and leverage and build on that strong foundation that my team has built for me. And, and I think recognizing that is, is a big win for me and for my team and understanding that, you know, sometimes someone walking in actually has none of the answers and the answers lies within the team that has handed over, you know, this gift to you. I mean, I think that's an incredible sentiment because I often find that, you know, with new management teams, new people come on board, things change, you know, it feels like a different brand identity than before. And I think that's probably very heartening to hear in this environment, especially when there's so much change, there's so much turmoil. um, And, you know, there isn't a lot of stability, right, in this industry right now. But, Jui, I'm just wondering, from your perspective, like when you think about the future, you obviously have this defensible product, this defensible brand, but how are you balancing the innovation piece and resting on your laurels? Well, that again, oh, you know, this is why you are the host and I'm, I'm the one that is being interviewed because you ask like the best questions. <laughs> I think the way Olaplex looks at this is, is, you know, if you think about it, the company started in 2014 and in 2014 to 2018, they only had three products. They had not launched anything in between and not because they didn't want to, but because they knew that if they were going to launch anything else, it has to be best in class and best in category. And that is what I am mandated, you know, myself to do. I've told my team that we are not going to go for skew proliferation, but we are going to hone in on innovation. Any time and every time we launch a product, I want it to be what the founders did for this brand, which is best in class and best in category. And while brands may have to launch multiple newness a year, I want to continue to launch one or two good products and they are mega launches. When I say mega launches, it means that this launch will create the messaging, will create the noise and create all that is necessary to help lift the beauty space and the hair care category in particular. And I think when you tell your team that that is what you want to do, they feel like they have the time to be really deliberate and to be really strategic. And we have planned out our um, product development sort of cycle right through 2024 so that it gives us a lot of breathing room, that it allows us to really look at technology play, new platforms, new delivery system, new partnerships. And to me, that is the the jewel in the crown for Olaplex because we are a science and technology-led organization. We are not about being here today with something and then gone tomorrow. I see this brand having the opportunity to really 
be iconic and be very, I mean, it already has a cult-like following, but I believe it can be an icon at some point where we continue to do what we have been doing and do it well. Julie, you know, I when you mentioned the number zero intensive bond building hair treatment, if I'm correct, wasn't that product, you know, surpassing in terms of sales as your last two launches and it sold out within 40 days? Like, what do you think kind of caused that fervor? I mean, to say that, you know, you have a limited SKU assortment, you launched this item, you know, pretty recently and it blows your last launches out of the water. What do you think that means for the brand and for the future? It feels, it obviously showed that our customers, as well as new customers, are very keen to see what Oloplex has. I mean, think of years past, you know, when companies used to launch one or two items, or even think of the Neiman Marcus coffee table book. It came out once a year, and when you are on that mailing list, you feel like you have arrived. And I think it's very similar to how Oloplex launches things. When we launch something, there is a pent-up demand waiting for us to see what we are doing. And I think when we launched number zero, there was twofold. It was in a pandemic year when most brands were like holding back on their launches, but we pulled no punches. We told ourselves, if we were going to launch something, let's launch this, you know, in such a way that people understand what it means for themselves. So it was a product that was inspired by the salons because the salons has always talked about caring for your hair in between salon visits. And this was something that could be uh, done that way. And Oloplex number zero wasn't created for the sake of launching something. It was created to really help in driving recognition to the salons, help with the consumers that cannot go into the salons as a result of having to use maybe a lot of box colors, maybe not treating their hair because, you know, they are just so stressed. So this product was really done in such a way to answer the call of the, of, of the salon and the consumers. And if you think about it, layer on top of all of these things, we also wanted people to understand that Oloplex number zero as a primer was very much in the vein of skincare. And we've talked about us being skincare of hair care. So having that opportunity to do this and message it accordingly gave us a lot of runway and headroom to, to really prove that we know what we were doing and that we really wanted to do well and do good, as I mentioned. Chewy, when you think about what you know, the future has in store, you know, I think it's interesting that your pipeline is always all the way through 2024. So how are you kind of balancing, obviously, you know, that piece of it, what you think the customer wants and these create changing, ever changing customer preferences and, you know, obviously the market, you know, people aren't going to stores as much, people aren't going to salons. Like, are you bracing yourself for either side of the way that this all shakes out as well as planning forward for the next, you know, four years? Yes, I, I, I think, again, this is the kind of thing that, you know, you never rest on your laurels. You're always worried and you're always, you know, a little bit anxious as to, you know, when is all this, you know, going to flush itself out. But like I mentioned earlier, what is interesting is, you know, when you look at skincare again, when you ask somebody, do you have sensitive skin? 60% of women will tell you, yeah, I have sensitive skin. But clinically, only 2% of women truly has clinical, clinically sensitive skin. But then if you turn it around and look at hair, 
57% of women actually think they do something to damage their hair. And 91% of women are looking for products to repair their hair. In this vein, it is actually true. If you so much run your fingers through your hair, you are actually introducing mechanical damage. So because there is that constant damage that is being done to the hair, whether it's through processing, you know, color, bleaching, uh, perming, environmental damage, the aging process, because damage is ongoing, I, I feel that it, women in general will continue to look for products to address that damage. It's almost a cycle of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? You're eating those three meals a day, and your hair is also, you know, while it's being repaired, it also continues to get damaged because by virtue of the fact that you're living and breathing. And I think with that, we will continue to serve up a need and we will continue to have benefits that the consumers are seeking out for. And with that, I think Oloplex has the opportunity to continue to be relevant and to continue to serve up to the community that is seeking us out. Julie, last question for you. I have to ask, you know, you mentioned something that I think is very um, constant in beauty and obviously in hair and has been in skincare, this misdiagnosis, right? You know, the customer is confused. They don't get it. They may think they want one thing. They try something. They're disappointed. Rinse and repeat, for lack of a better word. You know, I'm wondering, you know, with so much misinformation and even you saying this comment about sensitive skin and sensitive hair, you know, is it that you are just providing the more accurate information and that that's what's really doing your products justice and getting that repeat purchase and others are not? Or I just have to ask because it does seem like such a confusing process. And as customers get more and more information on the Internet, you know, you run the risk of alienating some or or gaining traction with others. And I'm just wondering how you're balancing that. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it again, we have an authority in the professional stylists and the colorists. They are cosmetologists in their own right. They are the people who see hair day in and day out. And when you have that authority speaking out for you, recommending your products to their clients, you win every time, right? And when you have that authority and that consumer trust and will continue to use their products and when they need to replenish and they need to buy it, even with salon closure, they can migrate to whether brick and mortar stores that are open, like a Sephora for us, or online with us. So I think that continual vicious, you know, virtual cycle where you can actually find us in professional, discover us, you know, in a more uh, larger segment as in retail, and then be able to research us online. I think gives the consumer a lot of confidence and the information is actually directed and can be depended on because we are about science and technology recommended by a professional cohort that has the authority. So I think with that, we have a very good community that will continue to support us. And therefore, it is our responsibility to make sure we launch you know, best-in-class products and that we message and communicate you know, to the best of our ability that is based on facts and not just on marketing fluff. And that is going to be our mantra as we continue to really help other people understand who we are. Because for as, as many people who knows us, there are just as many people who, who, who does not know who we are as yet.
Thank you, Julie. It was great having you today. Thank what a great you. conversation. Thank you. Take care, Bria. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. See you next week. Thank you.